you're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. For those of you who don't know, we've been walking through this series um, on what does it mean to be a family. Um, Typically, we kind of go through a book of the Bible, but recently I really felt like God was speaking to us. What does it mean to be of the body or the family of God? What does it mean to be a church family? Because over throughout Scripture, we see that we are sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ, that the church is a body. It's not an organization. So if you've grown up believing that church is some kind of religious institution or organization, as Christians, we are meant to be a body. We are heirs with Christ. So I started this whole series on what does it mean to become a part of this family? If we are a family, of God, how do we become a part? And this is what Martin was alluding to this morning, and the great news of the gospel is that you and I were alienated from God in our sin and our brokenness, but because of Christ, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. That should get an amen. Somebody should get an We have been adopted into the family. So if you're wondering, how do I become part of the family of God? It's through the grace and the blood of Christ. We receive his grace and mercy through faith alone. Say, Christ, I receive you. And we are in the family. We no longer have the wrath of God being poured on us. We are justified and righteous in his sight. So we've walked through that series a little bit. We talked about what does it mean for God to be the father? What is the role of a man in the house? What is the role of a, a, a woman? What, are the, what do we find our identity in? And ultimately we say we don't find it in stereotypes or like the world's de- definition of masculinity or femininity. We find it in Christ, relationship with Christ. If you're new and you wonder how come some of us get very, very joyful during worship and we sing songs like Christ be my everything, be my delight, because we recognize that our ultimate purpose, our ultimate joy comes from his presence, from knowing who he is, being in his presence. Does that make sense? This weekend we were at a conference and one of the speakers, he said, um, he was talking about his family. He said, God, I really want to know you. I want to know you deeper. I want to I know you more than I am. And this is a guy who travels the world seeing miracles, uh, miracles and healings. <laughs> not miracles. That's not, that's not a real word. He sees miracles, healings. He's all over the world. He, know, he feels the presence of God. He's like, I want to know you deeper. And instead of God saying, okay, go to a corner of a room and pray real hard or, or go to this conference or go to that worship service, he said, spend more time with your family. And he's like, what? And there's a long story how it happened. But he said this. I thought it was great. He said, you can, be, you can be available with your family but not present. You can be in the vicinity. You can be available but not present. And we can do the same thing with God. God, I'm available. I read. I do my devotions. I do my quiet time. But there's moments where we're not really present, just receiving his joy, experiencing the life that he brings. I hope that makes sense. So we find our ultimate joy. We find we become part of a family of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the cross in our life. And so we can sing and we can shout and we can get excited in worship because we've experienced, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I know that my satisfaction, my ultimate purpose comes from his presence and knowing him, loving him. This is not religion. This is not tradition. This is his presence, his active work of the cross in my heart and in my life. I hope that makes sense. So that brings us to where we're at this morning. Uh, Jimmy also spoke on what does it mean to be a brother and sister if we're in the family. What does that look like in getting rid of competition and, and uh, comparison? This morning, I want to talk a little bit more of what does it mean to be a family in another aspect, so we've gone from dad or mom, father, male, wife, brother, sister, all these different aspects of the family. Thanksgiving's coming around the corner, and I want to mention this word, relatives. Relatives. What does this word mean? Um, 
to us this morning. Thinking of relatives, I've I had a lot of cousins. Who who's who had a lot of cousins? Like just a lot of cousins. So I I met one of my cousins for the first time like a year ago at my grandma's funeral. I'm like I don't even know who you are, but he, you're my cousin. We share the exact same last name, and I have no clue who you are. But there's a few cousins that I remember that I really, really knew when I was young. I was super close to them. I had my cousin Brian. I was best friends with Brian, and I would be at his house because there were certain perks about Brian's house that I didn't get at my house. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody have that cousin, one of the cool cousins? So I'd go to Brian's house. My parents, my parents were pretty religious in some things early on. And uh, we weren't allowed to watch, like, cartoons that had, like, G.I. Joes were not a part of my childhood. Too violent. Um, my favorite show as a kid, and I've shared this before, was Gummy Bears. Disney's Gummy Bears. And drinking that magical potion just bouncing here and there and everywhere. They go beyond to compare. They are the Gummy Bears. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Love it. That was my favorite show. Guess what? I had to sneak Gummy Bears. I'm, like, flicking through the... Well, that was back in the day with the little knobs or something like that, I think. There's Sesame Street. Mom walks out of the room, back to the gummy bears. Like, but I'd go to my cousin Brian's house, and he had G.I. Joes. He had Ninja Turtles. He had every wrestling figure that there was. Jimmy would have loved it. Bam Bam Bigelow, Jake the Snake, all these classic guys. Of course, you know, you, you got every, Andre the Giant, all of them. He had the wrestling ring, so we're, like, bouncing them off. the. I loved going to Brian's house. He had everything. But it wasn't home for me. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I love Brian's, but I also like going home. Brian had a, uh, I think he had a Sega Genesis. I had nothing. And so Brian's house was awesome. But Brian's house, they didn't, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't go to church. They didn't understand it. And there was a different feeling at Brian's house. Like, so I'd go, and they had different ways of living, you know. My uncle, I remember this is weird. Like, we'd eat cereal together when I'd spend the night at Brian's. And my uncle would intentionally let his Captain Crunch sit for like 10 minutes so it could get soggy. I'm like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. Like, he loved his cereal soggy. Strange. So I'd go home, and I'd eat normal cereal. There was perks. This was home. You guys know what I'm talking about? Then I go to my friend Justin's house. Not my friend, my cousin Justin. And Justin had a different environment. He lived out in the middle of nowhere, like on a farm. They had legit chickens that we'd go and get the eggs from. They had goats. They had like three dogs. It was like... Man, it was the farm. But I liked going to Justin's too because it was different. We got to ride four-wheelers. We couldn't do that where I lived. We were in the middle of town. Do you guys know four-wheelers? You call them quads up here, don't you? We, had, we got to ride quads. It was a different environment. But also, Justin's mom and dad argued a lot. And I mean a lot, a lot. So I'd go for Justin's house. And there were parts of it that I really liked. I remember one time my aunt, she made breakfast for me. And I was like six, eight, I don't know, somewhere that. She made me six eggs for breakfast and bacon, and I ate it all. I didn't realize it was six eggs. I just ate it all. And then my mom found out. She's like, how could you, how could you eat six eggs? She was so mad about this. Yeah. Maybe there might have been one of the reasons that I was in boys' huskies jeans. I didn't, that was my section of the store, huskies. Um, that's, a, that's a polite kid way of saying you're fat. Um, so I was in Huskies because I'd eat a lot of eggs at Brian or at, at Justin's house. But there was like there was a certain thing, certain parts of it that I really really liked, you know, certain craziness to it, certain fun things to it. But there were other parts that I it wasn't home. Like I couldn't I couldn't live there. They had different house rules. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm talking about? 
different house rules. So home was still home. It's where I belonged. This is the way of life that I liked, that I was used to. There were things about that one that I kind of liked. There were things about that one. But this was home. Different styles of life, but the same family. I'm always happy to be home, though. When we're thinking about the church as a family, what do, we're all brothers and sisters if we receive Christ. But I think there's a thing that we can kind of relate to here where other churches in the city are kind of like our aunts and uncles. They're kind of like our cousins. That they, they're the same last name. They have the same family, the same main set of values. You understand what I'm saying? But different expressions of it. They live it out a little bit differently. Some of the things that we might really like, some of the things we kind of aren't used to. So this is home. Like City Lights is home for me. This is the ground rules that we live by that is home. Does that make sense? Now going to my aunt... My aunt's house, my Aunt Deb never looked at me and said, Jesse, so uh, tell me some of the things you don't like about your mom and dad's house. I think you really should come over here. Why don't you switch families for a little bit? Why, why don't you stay at, at this, this family? Well, you should just stay here for the rest of your life. I never experienced that at Justin's house either where my Uncle Terry would be like, Jesse, uh, I really think your parents aren't treating you enough or treating you well enough. They don't feed you six eggs every morning like I do, so... Uh, I really think you should pray and consider about relocating to this family. This is a much better family. I didn't, there wasn't that competition. You guys know what I'm talking about. How many, if you did have that competition where your aunt or uncle was trying to steal you, something big was wrong. And uh, we should probably talk to child services somewhere. But there was no interrogation like what I did, about what I didn't like or what I did like growing up. There was just, we're family. You can come visit. You can be a part. We live a little bit differently. But you have your house. We have our house. And we love each other. We support each other. I'm going to give you gifts at Christmas. I'm going to share with you what I have. But that's your house, and this is, this is our house. Does that make sense? And I feel like sometimes in the body of Christ, we can do the exact opposite, where when we look at the other houses who are still our family, but they have a little bit different expression, we can begin to judge them because of the different expressions. We can begin to have a rivalry. And everybody who's a part of that house, we immediately believe that they should be a part of our house. Oh, wait, you do that at your church? Ooh, that's weird. Why don't you come over to ours where you see how it's really supposed to be? We've got it all figured out. We are the perfect family. This is the best house ever. I don't know if that's what you've grown up with or not, but that was my childhood experience. Every time I'd hear another church, unless it was across the country, it was with a negative spin. There was always like, oh, they're at the church down the street. They do this. Why does that exist in the body of Christ? Why were the same family that, which, let me explain. The church down the street, there's a little different expression, but we're the same, we have the same last name. You know why? Because we believe in grace alone, through Christ alone, with faith alone. We, we say that we are the same family adopted in Christ because we have placed our faith only is what saves us in Christ. He's the only way that we're saved. So that makes us relatives. That makes us family, brothers and sisters. But for today's service, we're talking about relatives here. That makes Scott Hall down at the Grove my relative, my family. That makes the guys at Steamtown, that guy makes the guys at Grace Bible family. I'm not fighting against them. I'm not trying to beat them. I'm saying you're family. You do things a little differently in your house, but I love you. I want to bless you. So how do we treat people? I kind of gave you a, a little, little preview of the rest of the service here. I got carried away. 
So how do we treat family that's not our house? How do we treat our relatives, the brothers and sisters who are in Christ, but might have some different values, some different priorities, um, the way they express worship? Genesis chapter 12, we can look there. Um, Genesis chapter 12, we see, and I'm not going to read chapter 12, I just want to kind of point this out to you, and we'll go into chapter 13. Genesis chapter 12, in this chapter we see that God calls, puts a call on Abraham, or Abram at this time. Um, He says this, I just want to read briefly here, verse 1, go from your country, from your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God says to Abraham, I'm making you awesome. I'm making your family awesome, and I'm blessing the earth through you. Pretty big news, right? God says this to him. It's exciting stuff. Let's look in the next chapter, which I just lost my page completely. Chapter 13 here. I want to read this together. Verse 1, 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into Negeb. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the, at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with, went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they, had, that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left land, I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled into the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Okay. So, here's what happens. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, make you awesome, make your family, everything great. The earth will be blessed through you. So we see in the next chapter, Abram's with his family, and his, he's got a lot of silver, a lot of gold, a lot of tent. He's doing pretty well. A lot of servants. And Lot, who's his nephew, not his son, his nephew, he's, got, he's starting to build up some servants and some, some cattle and some wealth to him as well. And they start to have conflict between the herdsmen because there's not a whole lot of great grass. There's not a whole lot of land for these cattle. So there's starting to be conflict. And Abram says to him, you know what, why don't you pick whatever land you want? Pick any land here, 
and we're going to go the other way. That way we can still have good relationship. We don't fight amongst ourselves. We're, we're kinsmen. We're family. We're in this together. So I'm going to let you pick the best land. Lot looks around and he sees, hmm, over here, not really much of anything. Over here, a lot of well-watered area. It says like, the, like the, um, the garden of the Lord. It's referring to Eden. Lot looks over and he's like, that looks like what I think Eden would look like. It looks really nice. It's beautiful, got good water, close to the cities, have the city life, have a lot of land for my, my cattle. And he says, I'm going to take that. That's going to be mine. And Abram says, okay, and we're going to go this way. I want you to see what he does here. Abram, Abram had no obligation to tell Lot, his nephew, someone of lesser value and importance by that culture, somebody that was underneath of him, to pick the best part. He had no obligation. He could have said, Lot, I'm going to take this because this looks really good, and we don't want to fight, so why don't you guys take this spot over here? It'll be good for you. But, you know, I am the head of this family. We're going to go this direction. Does that make sense? What he does, though, he, he, he could have tried to make his own destiny happen by picking the better land, by taking the best and leaving the rest. Here he had God say, I'm going to bless you. You're not seeing it yet, but I'm going to bless you and make you great. And his first response here is to say to Lot, I'm going to give you the best pick. You can do whatever you want. How many of us in our own reasoning say, God, you promised this, so i got to work out the best step for me to accomplish this. It would have been very easy for Abraham to say, well, God promised me the best, so I'm taking the best. I'm the head of this house, so I'm taking this land. Instead he said, you're my, you're my family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. You take whatever you want. Okay, that's what you chose? You chose the best? We're, we're going to go this way. He could have enforced his own destiny. He could have enforced the promise that he heard God say. He could have tried in his own logic and reasoning to make this thing happen. But he didn't. So that's what he does. He, he gives it away. And I love this. I love the very next verse, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, and I will give it to you. So Abraham Abram moved his tent and came and settled to the oaks of Mamre, which are Hebron. There he built the altar to the Lord. He said, I want you to see the sequence of events here. God gives him a promise. Instead of building his own promise and making that happen, he, he blesses his family. It goes against logic. And God's response is, you just did that. I'm going to reaffirm what I just said. I'm going to reaffirm what I told you I would do. You just acted in humility and in love, and I'm going to reaffirm the promise that I already made. There's something when we give and we live out of humility that God says, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to do what I said. And God reaffirms that in our lives. God honored his humility. See, receiving promises of God for your life doesn't mean that you make it happen through logical self-promotion. 
If God gives you a promise or he puts something in your heart or a desire in your heart, whether it's a family thing or it's a job or it's a ministry, whatever that is that's in your heart that you know is a God-given thought, how often do we want to try to make it happen through logical self-promotion? Receiving those promises doesn't mean we act out of logical self-promotion. It means living out the character of God and making decisions in faith. That's what Abraham did in that moment. He said, I'm going to live out the character of God. I'm going to bless you, my kinsmen. I'm going to give you something instead of building my own thing. In Genesis chapter 14, I'll just, I'll just kind of sum this up for you. So the next chapter we see, Lot went to the valley that was fruitful looking and near the cities, which we saw is a wicked city. And we see all of a sudden all these different, I'm just basically say somebody comes in, an army comes in, and they take Lot, they capture Lot and his family and all his herd, all his possessions, and they take Sodom and Gomorrah, they take the cities, they take all the wealth, they take the people, they capture them. And the one who escapes, one of Lot's uh, servants who escapes, runs to Abraham. He finds Abraham and he says, this just happened. We all got captured. We all got taken by this other army. So Abraham could have at that moment said, well, you picked that land. Sorry. He said, that's my family. And so he gathered his men. He went after them and they defeated that army and they rescued Lot. They rescued the herdsmen. They rescued Sodom. They rescued the possessions of Sodom. Does that make, you guys hear what I'm saying? He went back and with his own men risked their lives, risked his own establishment, the thing that God promised he would build, risked that so he could rescue his nephew, his relative. He goes and rescues them and delivers them from this army. And then, he, so Abraham has all this wealth. In that day, if you would, if you would capture an army, you, everything you captured belonged to you. So Abraham has the right to everything he just took, which is all the wealth of Sodom, all the wealth of Lot, all the wealth of the other armies. You guys get it? So this is a pretty big advancement here. First thing he does, and this is kind of a strange mystical thing, which is we see this priest from Salem named Melchizedek. And Abraham, Abram gives a tenth of everything to this priest of God. We don't know a whole lot about where this priest came from, what There's kind of a mystery to this whole thing. But Abram, instead of keeping something, he says, I'm blessing the Lord with what I just received. He instantly gives a tenth of everything to this priest to bless God. He could have kept it all. He could have tried to establish his own thing. He says, first thing I'm doing, I'm giving to this priest. I'm blessing him. So the priest, Melchizedek actually says a blessing over Abraham. Then the next thing we see is the king of Sodom, who was just rescued by Abram, he says this, he says, give me my people back, but you can take all the wealth. You can take, you can take everything. I want, I want to actually look at this verse. Um, chapter 14 here. Okay, verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. He made, a, he made a vow with the Lord. God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. He said, you're not going to bless me, Sodom. 
You're not going to give me anything. I'm giving everything that was yours back because I don't want you saying that you made Abram rich. God's going to be the one that makes me rich. I swore to God I would not take anybody else's stuff. God's going to make me rich. God's going to fulfill his promise. Then Genesis chapter 15, the very next thing. After these things came the word of the Lord, where he puts another blessing, the prophecy over Moses. He makes a, or not Moses, Abram. He makes a covenant with Abram. This is what I'm going to do with you. This is what I'm going to fulfill in you because you responded in faith. You didn't try to build your own kingdom. You respond, and God once again responds to him in faith with another blessing and another covenant. We wonder sometimes in our lives, God, why why am I not seeing the blessing? Why, Why am I not seeing these dreams come to pass? But we've been living in this place where we're trying to establish everything on our own. We don't ever act in faith. We don't ever just say, you know what? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm going to bless this person. I'm going to bless this ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to release this because it's, we, we try to establish, we're like, we're like, what is it, Scrooge. You just got his coins and we're stacking them up. One, two, two. I lo- you guys remember DuckTales? Wasn't there a guy in DuckTales who was constantly stacking his coins? That's the image that pops in my head. We're, we're trying to establish this, this kingdom that we feel God's promised to us in our own strength. But we don't ever live it out in faith and we wonder why, why are we not seeing these things come to pass. What would have happened if Abram would have responded to these situations differently? Say, well, God, you told me you would do this, so I'm going to take all the wealth that I just captured here. I'm I'm going to receive everything for myself. I'm going to do everything the way I want to do it. God, here's a priest in front of me, but uh, you said you'd build my house, so I'm going to keep this. I'm not going to give you anything. I'm not going to tithe to this priest. I wonder what would the covenant look like then? What would have happened in Abram's life if he would have responded, not out of the character of God, but out of the greed in his own heart? For a God-given purpose and a God-given destiny. We do this, I think, this is something I'm speaking to myself. In churches, we say, God, you've promised me a vision. You've promised me a church. You've promised that you'd move and you'd change the city. I don't want to give there because I've got to make the city lights build. I've got to make this thing good. I've got, I got to somehow reach that promise. And so I don't respond in faith. Instead, I respond in logic. I think that's a trap that goes many churches God, you said you'd build it, so I don't want to. I don't want to encourage anybody to go to any other church. I don't want those churches to do well. I want this church to do well. All of a sudden, we become fearful and and competitive. Like there's not enough people in the city that fit every every church. Like somehow we're the only light to this city. That somehow your vision and your dream that God put in your heart is the only one that matters. So we try to build up our own thing, and we don't ever really listen and respond in faith. We talked, Ben said this morning, we, we always preach a grace-given offering thing, that we respond, we see in Scripture, sacrificially, gen- generously, cheerfully, and regularly. That's what we talk about. If, so there's no obligation to give. There's no, like, pressure. Like, if you do this, then God will love you. But there really is a pressure. There really is. Let me, let me explain. What if Moses would have said, I'm going to keep everything for myself and not trust you? There is. We don't give so that I will all of a sudden build up a big house for Jesse. But I give because God honors when I trust him with my finances. I, I can meet with the guys at all these other churches and say, what can I do to help you? Let me, oh, you need that for this event? Here, take that. 
Oh, you need a little bit of money for this event? Here, take that. Because I trust that God's building his kingdom, not just mine. That he's building the church and not just my church. That's what my hope has got to be in. I want to encourage regional and corporate giving. That we give not just in an offering, but we give in our lives. We say, God, you're doing something. You're fulfilling the purpose and the destiny you have for me. But I'm going to be a giving person. That I'm going to bless these other families. I'm going to bless the city. I'm going to bless these other churches. Abraham was a man that said, I'll let God build my house and not Sodom. I'll let God establish this thing and nobody else. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says this, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. We have here in in 2 Corinthians, he, he tells the church in Corinth, Paul's telling the church of Corinth, he said, look what just happened in Macedonia. You have oppressed churches in Macedonia who are poor and in poverty. And they heard about those in Jerusalem who are the church in Jerusalem who is poor and broken and needy. And they began to give from what the little that they had, they gave in generosity and in excess. Not saying, well, I have a lot of money. I should probably give some of this away to charity. They said, I have nothing, but I want you to advance the church in Jerusalem. I want, to, I want to help that church in Jerusalem. And so here he is, Paul, saying to the church in Corinth, I'm challenging you to do the same thing. I'm challenging you as the church to give so that others can see that your love is real. Not because then God's going to bless your church. Not because then God's going to make you really, really happy. But you can show your love and the love in Christ in you by giving even when you are broken, even when you're poor, even when you're needy. You can give something. You can bless and say, God, I trust you to take care of me, but I want to be a help and a blessing to this church in Jerusalem. I think we become, as people, we become very, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, very, if we can't see it, it doesn't really exist. We become so, like, focused on what's around us. Like, oh, this person right beside me is in need, so I can give them because they're, like, you know, they're my family. But the person that we've never heard of or we've never seen face-to-face becomes kind of like a thing that, like, well, I kind of need myself. I kind of need this for me. That church that we don't quite really know, that they're not our best friends, we don't have a relationship with them, God, i got to bless this church. i got to bless my family first. 
I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, they don't quite matter. Does that make sense? And here we see a church in Macedonia doesn't have relationship with Jerusalem. They're, they're far off and they're saying, there's a need there that I've heard about and I got to bless it. I got to send something to it. I got to give to it. They themselves were poor. I think, I think there's something in it when you begin to bless others and give out of a generous heart and love others when you have needs and desires of your own. Dreams that God's still building. Destiny that he still hasn't quite accomplished yet. There's something when we respond in that faith and say, God, I just trust you with this. See, Ben said, we, 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 we say this all the time, there is no pressure. But Paul says, hey, there's no pressure, but there's a pressure. The funny thing is in 1 Corinthians, which is the first book to the Corinthians, he basically says, you need to set aside every week something for the church in Jerusalem. So that when I come, you're not all of a sudden scrambling around trying to pick, oh, here's what I have in my pockets. There's just something generous already set aside for it. That's why my wife and I can give every week on Sunday morning, the beginning of the week. We give not because it's easy, not because it's something that I want to take pride in, but because I know, God, I'm trusting you. I've placed my faith in you. And if I'm placing it in myself, I'm already doomed. I'm already broken. I've told before how coworkers, when they found out that I give 10% of my money to the church, they were, their minds were blown. They're like, do you only eat ramen noodles at home? Like, cause I know what you make. We work at the same place. No, God provides my needs. God's good and faithful because I trust him. I'm not building my own house. I'm recognizing he's building my house. Like our first year here in Scranton was tough. We were poor. I remember when the guys wanted to go out for wings and I didn't have money for 35 cent wings. Like, I don't, I can't, I got room, ramen tonight, but we still tithe. We gave because we said, God, I know you called us to the city and I would really like to keep this for this week. And maybe in a couple months or a year, whatever money's good, then I'll reimburse you. That, that's a really nice plan in my mind. But there was something that said, no, I want you to trust me in this. And we did. And God's brought us through that. God's always faithful. God provides. God's a good God. God blessed Abraham. We know the story. They were 100 years old and still no kids. And God says, okay, now, you can, now I'm going to give you a kid. Now I'm gonna, you're going to see my promise. We, we know the story of the son on the altar. Saying, God, you promised this, but I'm going to... And God stops him. God is a God that loves when we respond in faith. Lot had no, or not Lot, Abram had no obligation to Lot other than he was family, other than he was relative. And I'm going to give myself to that relative. We've got to become a church that recognizes we're supporting a bigger church. It's about a bigger church. It's not about city lights. God has a word for city lights that I know will happen. God has a promise and a destiny that I know will happen. The same way he's got a promise and a destiny for you that I know will happen. But in the meantime, I can't build this thing. He's got to build this thing. I'm really excited um, that I'm beginning to see the walls of separation among families in this city tear down. I'm really excited. Let me, can I share two stories with you? What time is it? I don't, uh, man, some of you guys are already hungry. Your stomachs are growling. You, you just made reservations and you're texting in a Texas roadhouse. Hold my seat. 
two stories, and some of you have heard these before, but I, I want to share them. When I first, when Ash and I first moved here, I got a job um, working at, in schools as a, a counselor, a TSS. I was, you know, kind of all over the place. And I was working with another TSS who was also a pastor in the area. Um, and uh, he, he sat down with me and he's like, so, so you guys are going to plant a church? I'm like, yeah. He's like, where are you going to plant it? And I said, I'm, we're not really 100% sure yet. We want to be in the city. You know, we're talking maybe downtown. We're talking maybe west side or south side. But I said to him, I said, you know, probably south side or so, somewhere around there. And he's like, stay out south side. And I said, why is that? I'm thinking in my mind, you know, heavy drugs or they're just all heathens, you know, something like that. Some kind of like, it's a bad place. You know, he said, my church is in Southside. We don't need another church. The Southside's broken. Have you ever been to Southside? There's, there's broken places in Southside. Every area of this city needs churches. Until the entire city is going to church, every area needs to know Jesus. And for the first few years of, of Jared and, and I and the rest of the team trying to establish city lights, we were met with hostility everywhere. People that we thought would be our friends, churches that we thought would support us, we were met with aggression. Like, you, you guys are you guys are kids. Get out of here. Like, there was no friendship. It's true. So, honestly, Jared and I kind of put off the thought of having friendship in this area. And about a year and a half ago, two years ago, God began to do things in the other pastor's hearts. And I, I'm super excited and kind of emotional right now because God's building unity in the family of God here in this city where I can say some of my best friends are pastors of other churches and they do, they would do anything for this church. They pray publicly for this church and I have prayed publicly for other churches. I support them. And there's a real friendship where where pastors have recognized it's not about my church. It's about the church. It's about the kingdom. I'm excited to announce in May, there's about eight to ten or maybe more churches in this area that we're going to be getting together and we're going to be doing a public um, gathering of baptism where we can all together, different denominations, we got Baptist, we got Presbyterian, we got Assemblies of God, we got non-denominational, I think there's Methodist, all these churches coming together saying we're one body. There's one Jesus that we're serving. We look a little different, we have different expressions, might not agree on the same way of doing things. But we love Jesus, and when, we're, when there's a baptism, that's somebody saying, I, I believe in Jesus, and I found my hope and salvation in him. We all celebrate. We're all celebrating. That's exciting to me. I'm excited for that. That is what the body of God, that's how we're supposed to interact with relatives. That's how we're supposed to interact with other churches who are really our brothers and sisters. But they have a different house. See, there is a destiny and a word over your home, over your life. There's one over mine. There's one over this house, this church. But some of us need to, to learn to give in faith. And I'm not just talking about offerings. I'm, not, I'm talking about a lifestyle of giving in faith, trusting him to build the thing. And then we'll begin to see that destiny come. Some of us need to learn to begin to forgive other churches, other pastors, who have hurt us, who have wronged us, or maybe we've wronged them honestly, but we don't want to see it that way. Some of us have got to realize that they're family too. The church that hurt you is family. The church that you're angry by is family. You don't have to go to that house. You don't have to live there, but you need to love them. 
There, there are plenty of churches in this city that I would walk into, and it's just not my home. It's not where I belong. And I think you would say the same thing. doesn't mean we don't love them. And then some of you, on a much more real level, need to begin to forgive and love your biological family, your relatives that you just can't stand through whatever brokenness. I hope that this series, I and mean, there's one more message that I'm delighted Martin's going to be sharing um, in a few weeks on this, what does it mean to be a family and how do we live as a family. But I hope that this morning you're one encouraged that God's doing something in the family, in this city. God is doing something. He is tearing down walls of, of, of envy, of jealousy, of, of competition. He's doing that. And I hope that we could do that in our own houses as well, that we could be the family of God. We could be brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm.